0: So you can turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18 to 23. That's the text that Ashish read for us. And so we're going to uh, focus on that uh, this morning. We're not going to be able to cover all of it. uh, And so my focus will be a lot on verse 18. I know that sounds really slow, but there's lots of good things for us to to dig into and, and hopefully, you know, be instructive for us as well. Uh, This morning but let's see how, how far we go all right now the first thing we need to do and I'm jumping straight in over here is to understand why the Apostle begins to speak of the wrath of God that's what he starts with right he says in verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men so let's just stop over there and we need to understand why he speaks about that coming from what he has spoken about in the previous section on the righteousness of God and uh, faith which we've looked at in the last couple of sermons so we'll talk about that uh, in a moment But we also want to talk about uh, why God's wrath is being revealed. Like what's going on over there? When is it being revealed and how is it being revealed? And so we'll hopefully answer these questions as we go through the sermon this morning. And so it's important for us to consider this. And I thought, you know what, I don't want to rush ahead. I want to pause on this because it's a significant subject for us to think about because we usually give more weight and importance to the love and the grace and the mercy of god and i think rightly so right you want to be able to emphasize that you want that to be the thing that completely you know draws us unto god because god is love and he is grace and he is mercy all of those splendid amazing things But sometimes we do that to the neglect of any conversation or discussion on the anger and the wrath of God. And so we need to be balanced. You see, anger helps us understand love in a deeper way. It helps us understand love in a deeper way. Let me explain what I mean. You see, when a father feels anger toward the person who abused his child, that's love that's love when he feels anger toward the person imagine if he felt indifferent doesn't matter to me that would be cruel isn't it but if he felt anger towards the person who abused his child that's love for his child or when you feel anger or injustice about the injustice and inequality in the world That's love. That's something going on inside of you that says that you're concerned, that you feel for the world around you. And so you feel anger towards injustice or inequality when you see it. Now, our anger, of course, can be tainted with sinful pride or bitterness or envy. And so we need to be very careful with our anger. Nevertheless, real love necessitates Anger toward anything that threatens what you love. If you really love something, then you will feel anger to whatever threatens that thing that you love. And of course, you got to check your heart and see that, you know, there's no sin in your anger. But there is a very natural response when what you love is threatened. Imagine if God were to remain indifferent toward violence and hatred and injustice and inequality and sin in the world, would you still say, "God is love if God were to remain indifferent? I think not. I think not. Now let's look at the text itself and, and we'll we'll pick up a few things uh, from here uh, this morning. Now the first thing that the apostle does is make a connection between verse eighteen and what he has said before in verse seventeen. So if you just look at your Bibles, just quickly glance over it with your eyes. And, he, and I think it probably is up on the screen as well. So in verse 17, he talks about the righteousness of God that is revealed uh, in the gospel and is received by faith. That's what he's talking about in verse 17. And then he begins verse 18 in my Bible, and I think it's been left out in in the NIV and a few other versions, but it's there in the original. He begins verse 18 with 4, which means there is a connection between verse 17 and verse 18. The righteousness of God that is received by faith is vitally important because of the wrath of God that is revealed against all sin and evil in the world. The righteousness of God is received by faith, is vitally important because of the problem of sin in the world. Just to put it like that. And so Paul draws that connection. You see what Paul is going to discuss from Romans 18 to 3.20. So that's a section. If you're reading Romans, Romans 18 to 3.20. 18 to 3.20 is a section where he discusses the absolute dominance of sin in the world the dominance of sin in the world and before he you know he starts a discussion on the righteousness of god in romans 117 and before he gets back to it in romans 321 he talks about the pervasiveness of sin in the world and the reason why he does that is because it's going to help us understand how precious and invaluable the righteousness of God is how irreplaceable it is and so that's the reason he puts that little four over there to draw that connection so that we we, he said I want to tell you about the righteousness of God but before I get into that I want to tell you about the pervasiveness and the dominance of sin in the world and I'm going to come back to it so that you understand how important is the righteousness of God Now that's a bit like going to a doctor right and you're you're feeling sick and miserable and lots of us are feeling that these days and when you go to a doctor you don't want the doctor to gloss over the seriousness of what you're going through ah it doesn't matter you know if he just kind of brushes it off and you feel like you're dying. And the doctor says, "It doesn't matter. You don't want that. You want you don't want the doctor. You want him to to understand, to ask hard questions, and to give you the bad news as painful as it may be. Why do we want that? So that we can appreciate the treatment, and so that we can take and receive the treatment that's going to help us deal with the sickness." That's what Paul is doing over here. He says, here's here's the righteousness of God. But let me tell you how bad things are. How pervasive sin is in the world. And that's what he does. And we're going to to actually touch a lot on that until 3.20. Before he gets back to the righteousness of God in chapter 3 verse 21. So I want to focus on three things uh, uh, from this particular verse. The first one is this. God's wrath is his righteous anger or judgment god's wrath is his righteous anger or judgment right and i wanted to clarify when we talk about god's wrath we want to talk about it as his righteous anger or his righteous judgment not just that he's angry so paul speaks about the wrath of god 12 times in romans i think it's about 31 32 times in the new testament just that word wrath Paul uses it 12 times over here. So it's pretty significant uh, in this book. And the first one is here in verse 18, which we've read, the wrath of God being revealed. And the second one is in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. And here's what he says. And I think this is good because it gives us a little bit of a description of wrath over here. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed there's that phrasing right so the wrath of God is revealed and in chapter 2 verse 5 again he talks about he says it like this he says God's righteous judgment will be revealed will be revealed and so when he talks about the wrath of God it is righteous judgment meaning that God is right in his judgment that's the first thing And secondly, it's a judgment because sin violates God's law. And so he judges those who violate God's law, God's righteous judgment. You see, God is not just wishy-washy with his anger. He's just not someone who's grumpy in heaven. You know, he just flies off the handle because he doesn't like how you woke up this morning. That's not how God is. There is something more substantial to his anger, to his wrath. And, and Paul calls it the righteous judgment of God, the righteous anger of God. God is justified in being wrathful or angry toward sin. In fact, the Bible speaks of God as someone who is slow to anger. Psalm 103 uh, verse 8 He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I love that. And so God doesn't, you know, he's not simply emotional, but reasoned in his judgment of sin. That's important for us to get. And so we see this. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the Old Testament, we see this when God says to Abraham, uh, that his descendants, and I'm giving you one example, a very small tucked away one that came back to my mind. He, gives, he says to Abraham that his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would return to the land in the fourth generation. Because, and he says this, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Genesis fifteen sixteen. You see, God waited 400 years before he judged the Amorites when he brought Israel back from Egypt and gave them the land and drove out the Amorites. 400 years. And I think sometimes we read the Old Testament and we see, you know, all the prophets and this judgment, judgment, judgment. And we think, oh my God, you know, God is always so angry and upset. He's always just getting angry. But it isn't the case. You read the prophets and they actually take place over hundreds of years. Because God is patient with us. God is slow to anger. And I want us to understand that. But also let's look at Jesus. Was the Lord Jesus ever angry? Was he angry? You remember that he was angry? Yes, he was. Remember the incident when he walked into the temple and he found that it had become a marketplace rather than a house of prayer. And John is recording this in John chapter 2, verse 15. And it says, The Lord made a whip out of cords and he drove out the, the animals and the money changers from the temple. I want you to notice over here firstly that he made a whip out of cords he actually took the time to sit down and make the whip out of cords you know and then he went about what he was to do he didn't just kind of fly off the handle so to speak but also notice that Jesus is angry about something that has been misused and I think maybe we we gloss over that part of Jesus but he's angry clearly at the misuse of what was holy. Or in Mark chapter 3 verse verse 5, I've got it up there. Jesus was angry and grieved at the Pharisees when he he asked them if if it was okay to heal on the Sabbath or or to save a life. And it says they were silent. And Mark notes over there, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Because it was an injustice almost. It was, it was just an act of, of, of indifference and hate that Jesus saw they were exercising toward people who were in need. And he says, how could you do that? And he was deeply grieved and angry over that. And then the Lord Jesus himself, he speaks of the wrath of God in John chapter 3 verse 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him, remains on him. So this is a very serious thing when we talk about God. You talk about his love and his grace and mercy but you cannot, you must not gloss over the fact that God has righteous anger towards sin and that he judges sin so that's the first thing that I want you to observe but it's not a, 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 a an emotional thoughtless one it's one that is reasoned and and substantial in the way it responds to sin. But let's move on over here and we we'll continue on in this passage. Uh, this is the second point that I have for you. God's righteous anger is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in the world. So that's back to this verse, Romans 1 18, and he says that very clearly God's, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I want you to notice first over here that he says the wrath of God is revealed from where heaven heaven which means that God is above all and I think it kind of you know demonstrates for us the authority that God has and from his heavenly throne he looks down on everything that he's created and he and he he, nothing passes the careful gaze of God Everything is noticed and recognized by God. That's got to be comforting to us in some measure, at least. Maybe not for our sin, but at least that God notices what's happening in the world. As much as we feel this injustice and inequality, God is far more concerned about it than you are. He sees it from heaven. Yeah? So that's the first thing that you want to notice over here but then i want you to go, go on over here and it says that god is angry at the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and these are two adjectives that describe the way people are living or conducting themselves they are ungodly that is that they're, they're living in ways that are contrary to the will of god and the word of god they do not accept God's authority in their lives. And then he goes on to say, and they are unrighteous in the way that they live, meaning that they reject what is right and good. And I think as I was looking at it, you know, in a nutshell, I think what he's, he, it's a little progressive in, the, in, in what he's saying. In, he says, ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. And I think there's a little bit of a progression over here. And that's what we see actually in in verses 19 to 32. Let me show you how. In verse 19 and 20, Paul tells us, and we're not going to get into it this morning, but I'll just quickly uh, summarize a bit of it. He tells us that God has made his eternal power and divine nature clearly manifest in everything that is created. In other words, when a person looks at creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the rivers, the lakes, the trees, the animals, the people, he should be able to acknowledge the existence of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God. He should be able to do that. But what Paul says over here is that people chose rather to suppress the truthful revelation of god they did not honor god or give thanks to him and so you see the willful rejection of god they decided that they didn't want to have anything to do with god they suppressed the truth about god then notice to me in verse 21 romans 1 21 for although they knew god so they knew there is a god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and i want you to see over here again so they they decided that they even though they knew god they didn't honor him or give thanks to him so they rejected god what does that lead to they became futile so there's a passive over here they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened they became unrighteous in their living Let me take you a little bit further over here in Romans 1.28 and 29. It says this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there's that idea again. God gave them over to debased mind, to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So you see, ungodliness, rejection of God leads to unrighteousness. The, the, The sinful actions that you see. And he says, uh, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and the list goes on. We won't get into that this evening. That's a list of unrighteous acts that come from an ungodly life. A person who rejects God. Such an important principle for us. You see, when you fail to acknowledge God in your life you open yourself up to sin in all its variations that's what you do when you fail to acknowledge God in your life or to give thanks to God or, to, or, to, or, 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 or for your life to be under the sovereign authority of God you open yourself up to sin in all its variations it will begin to permeate your life it will begin to take over your thoughts and your words and your actions that's just the very nature of sin and so the mind and the heart goes to deep and dark places when God is not in your life or when you seek to live life apart from him because ungodliness a rejection of God leads to unrighteousness in your life in the way that you live it's just the way it works. and That's what Paul is talking about over here. That's what he's touching on, right? And so, and, and so the, the point that he's making is that God's righteous anger is revealed against all ungodliness, which leads to all unrighteousness. God's anger is against all of that. Okay, let's keep moving on. And and we're going to come back to some of this over the next uh, few weeks even, right? We'll touch on this again because it's a lot in these sections. But I want to keep moving forward over here and I think it'll make sense as we go along. Number three, God's righteous anger is revealed at the present time. God's righteous anger is revealed at the present time. So you've got to ask a question. You know, when is God's wrath or righteous anger active? Is it only speaking of a future judgment or is there a present reality or form of God's wrath? Now the scriptures do speak overwhelmingly of a future reality of God's judgment and a demonstration of his righteous anger on the day of the Lord. Overwhelmingly, I mean, it's just all over the scripture that even in Romans, most of the references are to a future judgment that is to come. And we already saw that in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, he says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath. That's an interesting phrase. You're collecting up wrath. You are collecting up wrath. We never thought we were collecting those sorts of things, right? But we're collecting, we're storing up wrath. Uh, when God uh, for the storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed that's speaking of what is to come the day of wrath that is to come let me read a section from revelation 20 verse 11 to 15 we're not going to get into it but I just want to put it before you he says over here then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each of each one of them according to what they had done then de- death and hades then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire now that's a terrifying picture of what is to come and you know what God would be absolutely justified in it absolutely in fact there's not a single human being including us who could say God no you're not right in what you're doing the only reason why you and I will be saved is because of God's righteousness given to us through Christ you see the the weight and the significance of that it's, a, it's staggering when you think about it but that's a day that is to come terrifying reality of what is to come but I want to come back to Romans 1 and I want you to note over here that it's not only a future uh, judgment in that sense there's also a present form of it or a present reality of God's judgment. Look at what he says in, in, in Romans 1.18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now that, that is revealed, that verb is a present continuous tense in the grammar, in the Greek. Meaning it's an ongoing way in which God's wrath is being manifest in the world today. It's not just about a future thing, there's a present reality of the wrath of God. How is God's wrath or righteous anger revealed today? We're going to have to drop down a few verses. We're not going to get into them, but I want to show you what they are. We'll touch on them in the weeks ahead. But Romans 1 26, and 28. And I want you to notice these with me. He says over here, verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's the first one. God gave them up that's God's righteous anger his wrath in the present time verse 26 and 27 says this for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error but the first part of that says again god gave them up to this unrighteous lifestyle because of their ungodly rejection of god in the first place come down to verse 28 it says and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done you see God's giving them up is his righteous judgment on people so that their bodies and their minds are consumed with what is unrighteous that's such a significant thing for us to think about You know, one commentator, as I was preparing, he says this, he says, The moral devolution of humanity, so not evolution, but devolution, the moral devolution of humanity is not just a natural consequence of man's sinning, but also a result of God's judgment on sinners. Let me say that. Let me just take out that middle bit. And here's what he's saying. The moral devolution of humanity is a result of God's judgment of sinners. Not just the sinful actions of man, but the result of God's judgment on sinners. Now it's interesting to observe this because we usually think of sin as people doing whatever they want apart from God and if as if they somehow loose themselves from God's grip and are free to live in their own universe, so to speak, right? They make up the rules, they do whatever they want. And sometimes we as Christians might even be tempted to envy sinners as though they are privileged to enjoy pleasures that Christians are denied. We look at them and ooh, this looks so much fun over there. They go out and they do all these kinds of things. And so we kind of look across the fence and we think they're free and we are somehow in bondage. But it's very interesting that the Bible actually tells it the other way that we are actually set free from sin. They are the ones in bondage. It's interesting that the Bible puts it like that. Moreover, the fact that they are on that side doing whatever they want, and I'm just using the them versus us kind of thing. Let's not draw that too far, all right? Right? Because we sometimes have a foot on that side of the fence. We're kind of jiggling between both. And we've got to be careful of that, right? But just for us to understand, the fact that they're on that side seeming to be free is actually God's judgment on them. That's what he's saying over here. Because they have so rejected God, God has given them wholly over to what they are indulged in. And as much as they think they are free, they are only in bondage to their flesh. Their minds are filled with darkness and hopelessness. That's what it is. Don't, don't be deceived by what you see with your eyes. Understand what the scriptures say about what real freedom is. You see, God gives them over in such a way that He exercises no restraint on them in regard to their desires. And what this implies is that life apart from God is doomed to destruction and darkness and chaos. Let me give you an illustration from the Bible about this. You know, go, My mind goes back to the story of the prodigal son. You know that story well, right? The prodigal son. He you know, one day realized that his father had lots of money and he had a share in the inheritance. And so he goes to his father and he says, Father, I want to be free of you. He didn't say that, but he said that, right? Give me my share of the inheritance. And so I'm sure the father, who's a loving father, was deeply saddened by that. Nevertheless, he gave this son the share of his inheritance. And in that sense, he gave him over what he wanted. Now, this young boy took what he had, and off he went into a faraway place, and he squandered all that he had. But he was in his mind free, right? But he went and he squandered all of it to indulge his desires because he he wanted to fulfill those desires. And the result was loss, shame, insecurity. Fear and hopelessness. Read the story. This young man is sitting in a pigsty, not even able to eat the the food that the pigs are eating. That's how desperate his situation had become. And the only way he could make things right was to go back to his father to go back across that fence to that place of security, to that place of comfort and, 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 and love and acceptance, all of those things in that place under his father's care. And he does that and his father graciously reinstates him. You see, the devil might tempt us to think that life apart from God is great. But that's a lie. And God, in His judgment, when people insist on it, gives them over to what they want. And they are immersed in all kinds of unrighteousness, thinking that they are free, but they are actually under the judgment of God. A life apart from God is one that is ultimately empty and hopeless, it's devoid of real joy, deep and lasting joy. And you know what it ends up damaging the person it ends up damaging families it ends up damaging communities and you and I are only going to see this it it may be happening a lot in Western countries just taking some of the examples these are examples by the way that Paul has picked up on but it will happen more and more in our country and it's going to end up damaging the good things that God has created So the present state of things in the world is not only the evidence of man's rejection of God, it's also the evidence of God's righteous judgment on man at the present time. I want to finish with this thought. You know, God's restraining work in our life is something that we ought to recognize and give thanks to Him for. His restraining work in our life We probably don't realize how much god has graciously kept from us we get upset we get angry you know god is not giving me this trust god you don't know what he's keeping you from as any parent any good parent will do with their child and and you know children want everything all the time but you're a good parent you don't give them everything all the time because you're a good parent right you know what they need at certain times and god is infinitely greater than that than us in that regard where he withholds things from us he restrains our life he keeps us he doesn't just give us over what a gracious god he keeps us in the fold he keeps us guarded and secure what a good father we have let's pray together our father in heaven we thank you for your word this morning There's much for us to think about And even as we continue to speak on this subject over the next few weeks even, I pray that you put those building blocks in our minds so that we are clear in our understanding of the nature of sin, the pervasiveness of sin, and how wonderful is the righteousness of God when it stands against all of that. Thank you so much, Lord, for ministering to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.